Hello, welcome to this video. My name is Beth Martins. This is the King Heroes Journey podcast. I am super excited to host Jamie Ike today. I'm going to take a minute to introduce him and uh, then I'm going to turn it over and start asking him some questions. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Thanks. So if you don't already know, Jamie Ike is an English filmmaker and founder of online TV channel Iconic, which I've been up on all night. <laughs> Uh, he launched in November 2019 the strapline of Iconic the Alternative. What Jamie plans to do with Iconic is to bring alternative views, opinions, research and discussion into the mainstream and bring mainstream production values and quality to the alternative and edgy content, which my people are definitely familiar with. Uh, his debut film has just come out, Unnatural. I watched it last night and it's fabulous. Jamie, excellent work. Thank you. My pleasure. So we had the pleasure of meeting through Andrew Kaufman. I was in the peanut gallery when you were interviewing him a few weeks ago, I guess, now on vaccinations, his opinion on that. And uh, I saw you there with your newborn baby. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. Fantastic. So I'm pretty excited to hear about your story. Can you tell us in your words about yourself, about the work you do, and what inspired you to be doing it in the first place? Well, I think in terms of, when you, when you look at the world, I think there's lots of things that, I mean, even if you're not consider yourself kind of a conspiracy theorist, I think there's lots of things that you can look at and think things are probably not right across lots of, lots of spectrums. But for me, the thing that I've always found the most frustrating, the most interesting is the media. Because everything that goes on around the world, all the negativity, all of the corruption, all of the, the hidden secrets, all the really dark things from, from paedophilia, satanic abuse, right into political manipulations and medical fraud and so on. If the media did their job, none of that could happen because it would be exposed very, very quickly. Take the situation we have at the moment now with COVID-19. If the media had done their job, rather than being a hysterical propaganda arm for the government, then the people would be in a much better and much stronger and more educated position to make an informed decision on what's going on. Whereas instead, we're only hearing one point of view. Uh, and I find it hilarious that given that that one narrative dominates the air, dominates the air for the majority, if not all the hours that the television's on, which in most people's houses, especially in lockdown, is a lot. Yet now they're saying they're scared of a few people on social media and a few people on YouTube and, and with private channels on things like BitChute and Minds and so on that are, you know, they're, they're spreading misinformation. Well, given how much you dominate the air, you shouldn't be concerned about a few people on YouTube. But they are, which goes to show that clearly there's something to hide. So, so that's why my, my passion has always led me into, into wanting to do something in the media, because I felt that what the biggest thing the media doesn't have is a good example. We don't have a good example of how it can be done, how it can be done properly, because I believe if there was that, that would force the media to either just diminish because people would look and go, well, well this is how it should be done. What you're doing is just propaganda. It's, it's horrendous. Or it would force them to be a little bit more impartial, force them to come a little bit more into the centre where they're actually reporting on stories and they're actually reporting on facts rather than being a propaganda arm, as I've said. And I felt we could do that. I felt there was a time now where people are more open to alternative information. People are more susceptible and more interested in alternative information for various reasons. Um, most people haven't put all the pieces together yet of what's going on in the world. But I think most people, particularly a lot of people my age, of under 30, look at the world with 
there's an uneasiness about it. They look at it and they don't feel comfortable with the route that we're going in, whether it be um, with political correctness, whether it be with people like Trump, whether it be with conflict, whatever that might be, whatever your area of interest is, there's generally a little bit of, mm, I'm not sure, not, I'm not sure I like this. So in this country, for example, my generation and generations younger um, are told that we won't live as good a life as our parents in terms of the ability to buy a home, the ability to, to you know, be self-sufficient and be able to, to have a kind of your own self-sufficiency because house prices are too high, too hard to get on the property ladder, the economics of it just doesn't add up. And I think a lot of people, including myself, look at that and go, well, that's, that's not good enough. We're, we're told by the mainstream of everything that we're at the pinnacle of human existence yet and we're at the pinnacle of human freedom yet we're told we're not going to live as good a life as our parents well there's something clearly not right there whether it's mm -hmm. the banks whether it's the, the governments whatever it is there's clearly something not quite right there so i think things like that have led a lot of people to look at alternative opinions and alternative narratives in in, in a search for answers so i felt november was a perfect time i mean if I could have planned it, you, could, you wouldn't have planned it any better into, from a business perspective to then have a pandemic where more and more people are looking at alternative points of view, which has seen the channel grow, which obviously is good for us in terms of reaching a wider audience. Um, and also it's, it's focused the minds of people, which I think it needed to happen. I think the, the phrase, it's always darkest before the light is, is very true. And, uh, that's why even though you know things look pretty dark right now I'm, I'm still very optimistic and very confident that we can do something about it so that's the the main reason really that i wanted to start iconic was to to show that the media doesn't have to be a propaganda arm of governments and corporations it can be of the people by the people for the people and that and that's why we set it up in the way that we did with a subscription model where the only people that we are liable to are the subscribers if you don't like what we do then you don't subscribe and you don't support us and the channel doesn't exist you know we don't have sponsors to keep happy or advertisers to keep happy where particularly in american television i dread to think the amount of billions that are spent by pharmaceutical companies which clearly creates a conflict of interests when stories on those things that are breaking um so you know you're not funded by governments or state funded where again there's there's a conflict of interest there you're funded by the people that watch you and uh, and they're the only people you have to answer to and i think that really is the only way to truly be impartial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's quite a, a war out there it's been fascinating since COVID hit because uh, you know the, the truth movement was already pretty juicy pretty pretty healthy and all of a sudden, boom, you know, the person who was getting 10,000 views was getting 100,000 views. And uh, just the whole thing exploded because people were pushed. In fact, I was very naive thinking, oh, my gosh, everybody's going to wake up now. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's so outrageous. And uh, it was true to some extent. And it was also true that people used it to go the other direction and more deeply to sleep. So that's, uh, you know, I've been very interested in free will because that's, it just shows how every person has to make their own choice, no matter how convincing anybody is. But uh, it's absolutely invaluable to come forward with the, uh, with the alternative media. I just want to uh, do a shout out to the chat here and say hello to everybody. I'm not going to watch the chat super carefully. I want to make sure I'm really paying attention. Uh, but uh, Prairie Girls here, Reconnect to Nature and Good Times for All, Miriam, Janet, Sue, Kelly F.E. Thank you all for coming and uh, being here. I'm going to see all your comments later if I don't see them now.
So were there turning points for you? I know, I mean, I have to imagine, not, not to assume anything, but I have to imagine growing up the son of David Icke in that family. And I've seen the films where he's talking about the hardship that went on in the early days for you guys. That must have been uh, an, an intense experience for you at some level. Do, are you open to sharing about it? What was like, what it was like growing up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, he did the, the famous Wogan interview in England in 1991, and uh, I was born in 1992. So um, it was really my brother and sister that were kind of in high school and, and middle school during that period and would have got the brunt of that. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I, it was interesting, to say the least. I mean, growing up, I was always brought up at home with the attitude of question everything. Basically, that's it. Just don't don't accept something that someone tells you just because they're an authority, they're a teacher, they're a, mm -hmm. officer, they're a politician, wherever they are. Because history has told us that people in positions of power and people in, in positions of supposed respect and authority have usually abused that power. So I was always brought up with that attitude. I didn't really get interested in the information probably till I was about 16, 17 when I started. Obviously, you go through that. You go through adolescence and you, can't, you kind of go through that period of who do I want to be? What do I want to do with my life? And, mm -hmm. and, and how do I want to you know, make a difference in the world? So that's when I first started getting really into the information. But going through high school, sort of 13, 14, 15, yeah, it was tough at times, absolutely. And I think the hardest thing was the fact that it, I didn't really understand the information at that point. So you couldn't really defend yourself or stick up for yourself or kind of justify why what was being said. Um, and the funny thing is now, you know, I, I don't really speak to anyone apart from my, my best friend. who uh, He was my best man on his next year. Apart from him, who um, I went to school with, I don't really have any any relationship still from school and I think possibly a lot of that is a factor but I, I sometimes bump into people now um, that I went to school with who you know will, will say it's great to see what you know you guys are doing so I, I look at it as a, a learning curve and at, at the time it wasn't particularly pleasant but looking back I think it gave me the, the confidence and the skills to, to just not really care what other people think which I know my dad will say the same about that Terry Wogan interview did the same thing for him Obviously, you know, going through school and a few people being unpleasant is not anything like as high profile as that. I think something like 8 million people watched the interview live. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but, but it's, it's basically, because I wasn't a particularly confident teenager, really. It wasn't until I got to, I always joke, it wasn't until I discovered Jack Daniels and Coke at about 18 that I found some confidence. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that that's, that's, I look back at that as a gift in a sense, really, because it's given me that belief. To, to do something it's also given me the it gave me the understanding in life pretty early that if you want to do something that's kind of off the postage stamp uh, and off, off of kind of the status of, of how most people live their lives you're going to get ridiculed and you're going to get abuse and you're going to get a stick for it and um mm -hmm. there's a, i've heard a really good quote this week actually it was a football manager in this country that was um the quote was something along the lines of um new ideas are always considered mad until they're shown to work and um and i think that's very true if you look back through history anyone that's ever said anything or done anything that was ahead of the times was always almost ridiculed. Leonardo da Vinci, for example. Um, and exactly. uh, I think, I think you know, then we look back on these people as gods, but in truth, at the time, they weren't appreciated at all. I mean, it, it, maybe a little bit of exception, but do people look back and, and um, appreciate Martin Luther King in the way that they do now? Did they appreciate him at the time? They appreciate Malcolm X at the time. They appreciate JFK at the time. People that kind of stood up against this this mainstream system so i think that that's a that's a big thing is is kind of coming out of the prison because i think 
you know, most people, particularly in the Western world, teenage years are tough anyway. You know, you're trying to work out who you are. You want to be cool. You want to fit in. You want to go to parties. You want to uh, go out with girls or boys or whatever your um, preference is. Um, but I, and it's all about that. Whereas going through that with kind of a bit of a, you know, a bit of stick was was interesting. But it kind of got me out of that mode of, of worrying about what other people think, as I've said. And it, it, I don't really care anymore. Like I walk into a shop now without a mask. Like they've just made it mandatory here. I walk into a shop without a mask, and I don't really care that people are glaring at you and they think you're in the wrong. It doesn't bother me anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of that is because of those um, those early years. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's a gift. I, I was actually very curious because, I mean, in our societies, it tends to be pretty normal to rebel against your parents. Like, for example, I, you know, if you read the chapter in my book about the rebel, uh, it, you and I are just meeting, so you'll you'll hear maybe a little bit of my story now. And, uh, you know, I went to jail. I stole a car. Uh, there was all kinds of really nutty things. People are like, really, Beth? It doesn't, I, I don't believe you that you could be that uh, that bad. And yet I actually ended up coming around and being the one in my family that uh, went to work with my family's business. I became their vice president by the time I was 25. I actually did a major pendulum swing from rebelling totally against them to working entirely with them. Uh, My dad was a rebel too. He was often out in the community and uh, speaking out against issues, not necessarily the ones I would speak out against, uh, but nonetheless, you know, doing what you your family has done in terms of, you know, what, what in the end creates a lot of character and a lot of confidence in yourself that, uh, that you don't have to go along with the mainstream in order to, to be, you know, feel acceptable with yourself. Yeah, I completely agree. And it also makes you feel like you're bigger, you're part of something bigger as well, which I think fulfillment is what most people want from their lives. And I think we're kind of told in Western world that money, success, all this and that and the other, that's fulfillment. Um, and I don't think it is for a second. I think you can have five pound in the bank and be the happiest person in the world. You can have five million and be incredibly unhappy. Mm-hmm. So I think fulfillment is a massive factor. And for me, what with what we do, it makes me feel it makes me feel fulfilled and like I'm part of something, part of a positive change that's trying to, to make a difference in the world. And that you know that's what gets you up at two a.m. I did an interview last night for a film I'm making. So it's what gets you up at that time to do to do things like that. What um it's really it really is uh, some the motivation um because you know you look at the world and think you know we can make a difference here and i think if you're kind of on your own and you don't feel part of a a kind of a community doing that it can feel quite lonely so being part of a family where having that ambition and having that desire is something that's celebrated it's not kind of you know know your place which i think is one of the worst things a parent can say to a child is know your place um you know that doesn't happen to people like us those sort of phrases that you get i think uh, so i think that's that's probably why i'm so ambitious to really make a difference and it's why i believe that we will make a difference it's because i've been brought up with that attitude of anything is possible you know you put your mind to anything you work hard enough and especially if your integrity and your t- intentions are pure then you know you'll get somewhere and we've had numerous problems in the last few years with various mm-hmm. different things which you know a lot of them would have really deterred and really disheartened many people and you know i might have had five minutes where i wanted to well in my case i go into the garage and go crazy on my punch bag just to get that stress out but then you come back and you carry on and you move forward and uh, i think feeling like you know whatever you're doing is bigger than you and bigger than any one person and that you've got a community trying to do it definitely helps when those tough times come and it also means that when you know the positive times come and you you know you feel like you're getting somewhere 
it's it's shared, which is um, a very nice thing too. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't change anything that's happened. Um, it's all been experience, and uh, I always think experience is is absolutely invaluable. As long as you're you're kind of happy where you are today, how do you know that if everything that you've done hadn't happened in that order at that time, you wouldn't be here? So, it's uh, yeah, it's been a great experience, and um, I'm, I'm just personally, I'm just getting started. You know, my dad's been at it for 30 years, and he's he's probably at the height of his power, if you like, now in terms of mm-hmm. you know, his reach and his his influence and, and his his work. Whereas you know, I'm just getting started, so. It's going to be yeah, it's going to be a fun fun few years. Amazing. So you're really speaking the language of purpose, and especially when it comes to, like you said, the community context of it. Because, in my opinion, and in all of the work that I've done with people on sacred purpose, uh, and also you, you might not know Jamie, I'm a cancer survivor. I almost lost my life to cancer in uh, 1999. I was diagnosed for three years. I fought for my life. I was told I was not going to survive. Uh, I had a near-death experience that showed me how our purpose is only intimately tied with the human community in some way. Without that, there is no purpose. And so I'm really hearing that in your voice right now. Do you do you think about that in terms of your life and, and the way you've been brought up and, and the work that you're doing right now? Do you consider it to be your purpose? Yeah, I, I feel it's, you know, what a sounding cliche, I feel like it's a calling. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, the, the, the chances of, I mean, in our family, obviously, um, there's, there's a few of us, but in our family, the three sort of vocal, obviously my dad's obviously huge, but the three vocal people on this are me, my brother, Gareth, and, and my dad. And the fact that you've got three people all the same, with the same attitude, all m- very much up for a fight when it comes to this, um, that that are ready to put this information out here all at the same time, just at the time when we're basically at a fork in the road, we're kind of teetering where it's going to go one way or the other um, in terms of how the, how the planet moves forward after this. I don't think that's an accident. I think that's happened for a reason. I think that's happened because we're all here at this time to do something uh, and to try and make a difference. And I wouldn't want to, I mean, it, you, you know, you might look at the, look at the world today and think it, it's dark. It's, you know, why would you want to live in this age? And I think, you know, when you when you think about it to a degree, I can kind of appreciate that. But I wouldn't want to be, be alive or be a food born at any other time than this, because now we're at the point when, yeah, it's dark, but we can really make a difference. And in the next 18 months, two years, we could see this house of cards come down and, you know, pave the way for a completely new world that most people probably don't even believe is possible. Um, and I think that, that, yeah, that's a calling. That's definitely how it feels. It feels like it's bigger than any one person. So mm-hmm. it's it's something that, yeah, I feel absolutely compelled to do. I, I do think sometimes, you know, occasionally when you get a little bit overwhelmed, you think it would be a lot easier to just, you know, go off into the forest and set up and just ignore this or go off grid and forget everything's happening and disengage with people because, you know, you see people in masks and you think, oh, you know, come on, there's a train about to hit you and you still stood on the track and you not can't see it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but then, you know, you recompose yourself, you hit the bag and then you recompose yourself and you come back and you you say, OK, well, what are we going to do about this? And I think, you know, the, th- the thing that gives me a lot of confidence is that what this pandemic has done, can, you know, unlike previous events that, you know, we look at and we talk about still today, take an event like 9-11, for example. 9-11 didn't change the lives of people in the UK or Ireland or Germany or Holland the next day. Whereas this pandemic has changed the lives of everyone in the world. 
everyone that goes to work, everyone that has a family, everyone that wants to go to the pub, wants to go out for dinner, wants to go to the cinema, all those things that we effectively took for granted as basic freedoms, which they are, are now taken away. You're now, you now feel, oh, great, the pubs are open. They're letting us go back out. They're letting us go and do this. And I think that has focused the minds of a lot of people because it affects everyone. You know, I think whether it be, you know, whatever event you want, like 9-11, I said, like the banking crash, for example, 2008, that didn't affect everyone. It affected a few people, but it didn't affect everyone. So therefore, it didn't focus the mind of everyone. The people it didn't affect could quite easily go, oh, ignore that, it doesn't affect me. Whereas with this pandemic, you can't do that. You have to look at it and say, okay, well, well, I have to make a decision on what I think of this because it affects me, whether it affects my job or my freedoms or my my wife's job or whether my kids can go to nursery or to school, or I can't go to the gym. All those things that, like I said, we take for granted as, as our basic human rights and freedoms, it does affect those. So that's, I think, why we've seen a big bump in people watching alternative content, which is only a good thing. And that's why I think um, it had to get to this stage before enough people would see that there's a problem um, and, and that we need to do something about it because it's very hard to convince people sometimes that they need to sort of wake up and uh, open their minds and their hearts to to, to, um, to what's really going on in the world when it's not in their face. I think we almost have to put it in their face and I think that's what this pandemic's done. It's put it in people's faces that you know the world's not what you thought it was. You know, Anyone that woke up in the UK yesterday, England is a different country today it will never be the same again because of this mandatory mask uh, in shops. And now they're talking about mandatory masks, mandatory gloves. Talking, they're, they're talking about mandatory masks in offices and to leave your house. So, if, you know, if you're like me, for example, you've got a dog, you want to go and walk your dog, then you have to wear a mask. And that's changed. That's changed the country forever. And I don't think even your most, odd, you know, adamant, no, there's no conspiracies, everything's this, everything's that. They can't look at that and disagree with that statement that this country has changed forever. It's changed forever for a virus that, if you believe it exists, which I don't personally, has apparently killed just over 41,000 people in this country. Mm -hmm. So 41,000, a country of 65 million. Um, I would Doesn't probably, deserve a lockdown. No, I would probably question that. And the fact that mandatory masks came in yesterday when the death rate is at the lowest it's ever been, it's just declined and declined and declined, then uh, I would probably question that even more. And I think that is why we're at a very exciting time. Dangerous time, but a very exciting time to make a difference in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Beautifully said, that's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of hardship on the King Heroes path. So, you know, for those maybe new to this podcast, this is really about highlighting those strong men out there who are willing to say the things that nobody necessarily wants to hear. Although, you know, truth has become more popular. Uh, I, my, my life was really saved by the truth movement, honestly, because I started awakening to things I hadn't wanted to see my whole entire life. My head was in the sand. I just ran with my blinders on. And uh, when I finally, it was actually uh, a client that came in my world that had had such horrendous experiences firsthand. I could not look away anymore. I had to look in. And, uh, you know, if it weren't for the alternative media out there, I don't know that I could have psychically survived it. Mentally, the whole thing was was too much. You know, your your father's work, your work, um, a, a lot of our mutual colleagues. Uh, most recently, Andrew Kaufman. You know, amazing to have him come forward, especially very early on in this pandemic, pandemic, and uh, and just talk about like, listen, germ theory has never been proven. Can we please look at that? 
because it's a house of cards that way. The whole thing just completely falls apart, right? So I appreciate so much that you're supporting Andrew's work and uh, and highlighting that, showing people, uh, you know, where you can go. And, and, and there's a lot of adversity on the path that pretty much every single day, actually, I've been on quarantine for two weeks now because I was in New York. And, and uh, when I came back through the border, they told me, uh, you're, you know, they're pointing my, their finger at me. You're under quarantine. You're on the record. You will be monitored. You're not allowed to go anywhere but home like this. Do you understand? I'm like, oh my God. Uh, mean, meanwhile, my colleague on the other side who entered Canada, they didn't even tell her to quarantine, never mind being on the record or strange phone calls from the government. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, uh, there's so much of it that doesn't even makes sense like you're saying that the, the numbers in the uk are the, at the all-time low and now they mandate masks and uh i love how you how you phrase it it's it, this is an incredible opportunity to to show people that you don't have to just simply listen to and follow rules you can think for yourself you can see what's what's real and true in reality according to your senses yeah. um and you know so how do you handle the stress of it you've talked about going out and punching bags how do you manage how do you manage that side of it because i imagine sometimes it, you must be on fire with it yeah it's, it's hard i think i think one key point I'll, I'll highlight for people that are looking at this for the first time is that that realization as you put it up with your story there that this this movement um really saved you is i think part of that is probably the realization that it's not you that's insane it's the world that's insane mm -hmm. and that it, it, it doesn't make sense it's not meant to make sense so again the mask being mandatory when the rate said it's low. It's that, that's not meant to make sense. I went in the shopping centre yesterday. I won't wear a mask. I'll go to jail before I wear one. I'm quite unfortunate. Well, it, not fortunate to be poorly, but unfortunate. I've got asthma, so I, they don't give me a hard time because I've got a, an exemption card anyway. Um, there's people with masks down here. They're not over their face. They're not covering their nose or mouth. And the security guards, the police just know nothing. So that, for me, is the biggest thing that it's not about health. It's about compliance. So... I think, you know, that's, that, that's a big part of it. I think realising that it's not you that's crazy. It's not you that's... You're looking for answers in a place you're not going to find them. And I think when you realise that, and you realise that actually the world is crazy and it's not meant to make sense, you can't understand it because, again, it's not meant to make sense. It's meant to be, you know, absolutely insane. But I think that's a big realisation that people come to. And I think that's where the truth movement's helped a lot of people because it's made them realise that and, you know, Rather than thinking that they're the crazy one, they realise actually they're the same one because they're not. They can see through the, 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 the kind of the, the bullshit of the world. But for, for me, it's hard. I, I use, um, as I said, I use fitness quite not so much recently um, because I've <laughs> I've probably not made some very good choices recently in terms of uh, diet and exercise and so on. But um, I use exercise and, and healthy eating as a, a way of kind of getting through um, through stress. Um, I find that very very therapeutic, almost like a medicine. Um, I've got a beautiful family, you know, I've, I've got an amazing wife that's very supportive. I've got a um, beautiful little boy who's 12 weeks old and you can't, look at him. you can't look at him and give up. You know, you might want to at times, but you can't look at him and not, not yeah. you know, give it your all. And I've got, I've got a beautiful little dog, which I take out usually once or twice a day. And, um, you know, that gets me out. I mean, I go out most mornings with her about half five in the morning, half five, six in the morning. And especially recently in the summer it's been lovely in the mornings i go on this walk i found where basically i don't see another soul for, for the hour i'm out and i love that you know breathing some fresh air in the countryside so i think there's, there's things that people can do to, to kind of relieve the stress and a big thing that i've done is like i on facebook deleted my 
profile, my personal profile, about probably about six, eight weeks ago now. And um, apart from using one, which I, a second one I had in a way for, for work purposes, just to manage a couple of the pages, um, I don't really use it anymore. And so I don't waste my time on it. I don't use, I've never used Twitter. I've never been, I was saying before we started off, off air that I don't use social media for that reason. Um, don't really use Instagram. And I think a lot of people waste a lot of their lives on them. And I think the other thing is they're very toxic places. And if you're in a position where you can see through the, the bullshit of the world and you're quite feeling quite negative about that, then social media is not a place to go because majority of the voices on social media are the voice of the establishment, which makes you feel even worse because invariably social media people are are very aggressive i think particularly twitter i think twitter is the worst one of all because it's so faceless you can be anyone anywhere and you can have a go at people. um and i think that if you're in a position where you're you're not feeling well you're not feeling great whether you're depressed whether you're feeling low you're feeling overwhelmed whatever that might be work stress family stress um you know emotional stress of some description i think social media will massively um make that worse we'll make that a lot worse uh, and i think a lot of people that spend a lot of time on there will probably un understand and agree that it's probably not good for their mental health so i, I stay stay off that as much as possible uh, and use it as and when needed um mm -hmm. you mentioned my film unnatural earlier on that's obviously on on the subject of technology so since making that film my use of the cell phone has massively reduced it's it's on flight mode overnight. My Wi-Fi's off. My Wi-Fi's been off on once today. It's been on for thirty minutes while we've been on this call, and it'll go off as soon as we finish. Mm. Um, everything else, I don't use. I try and use as little as possible. So, I mean, I think there, there's there's a lot of different things that people can do to try and keep themselves uh, sane, if you like, in the in the crazy place. But they're just a few that I do. I think appreciating that you know what you've got in front of you is very important. I think that's where technology is is massively um disengaged our relationships with real people and our relationships with our phones now take precedent particularly in younger people and i think that's where trying to be on your um technological devices tablets cell phones computers as little as possible and appreciate what you have in front of you your family your girlfriend your boyfriend your wife your parents um i think that is a, a big way of, of, of trying to stay sane for me you know um so yeah, as, as it gets stressed more and more stressful, I think it's going to be more and more challenging. Um, so you know, there's going to be times probably people don't do very well. I mean, I, I don't always cope very well. Sometimes yesterday, for example, when I'd uh, uh, walked into the shopping centre and seen that all the people were wearing masks, I mean, I kind of hoped that there'd be some some percentage that would probably go, no, I'm not going to do it. But from what I saw, there wasn't in my city, which made me feel a little bit disenfranchised, a little bit kind of, what's the point? We're wasting our time here. And then, as I say, you recompose yourself and you, you go again. So, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a really tough, it's a very tough question to stay, to stay sane in this. is It's hard. It is very hard because when you can see what's going on and you see the majority still don't, it can feel a very lonely place. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, you know, people like yourself running podcasts like this where, you know, especially you mentioned there's a chat feature where people of like minds can communicate, they can talk when you might not have that at home, you might not have that in your family or friendship group, you might be the only one that thinks this way and you feel very isolated. I think that's where, to an extent, technology has helped because you can connect with people that have similar ideologies and beliefs that maybe you didn't even know live near you or maybe they don't live near you, you can just communicate on things like this. So there's lots of things that people can do, I think. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. It's, it's one of those. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I think what works for some people won't work for others. But you definitely have to do something to try and keep yourself sane. 
Otherwise, yeah, it can it can uh, become a little bit overwhelming with this stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah, I, I think my main weapon for staying sane is creating. That as long as I'm in some kind of creating mode, I feel totally free. I don't care what you're telling me to do, or you know, I I literally I can't perceive that anymore. I'm I'm tuned in. I'm I'm listening to my own soul, and something's coming up out of me. I'm I'm the you know, a midwife for that. And uh, it, it makes me, you know, feel totally inspired, alive, and willing to do whatever work that I'm called to do. Uh, and I have to say, you know, the whole the whole pandemic thing was was a polarizer, like you said earlier, right? It, it made people really choose one or the other where there was lots of wishy-washy. And it, it's painful because, you know, right off the hop, I think there was at least 200 people vacated, for example, my social media, which I'm actually fairly engaged with. And it's a razor's edge because I know exactly what you're talking about. I There were there were days when I was consumed by attacks and arguments and, you know, thinking maybe I could convince somebody. But it really became at the end, it was like, no, you're you're choosing whether you're you're with this message or you're against this message. Delete block, delete block, delete block with no no big remorse. Although there's still pain, of course, when it's your childhood best friend or somebody like that. But uh, in the end, I am so grateful because it's made this big space for the truth community to come in, and we do really support each other in a stellar way. There's, you know, sometimes, honestly, I can go from feeling pretty black and bleak and then just go on to Crow Triple Seven stream or James True stream or see Benjamin Balderson. Uh, got to see them on per in person. Uh, you know, all of that stuff is such a shot in the arm. It's a transmission. That's what we can give each other. And, uh, you know, if you're really tuned in deeply, this is my experience because I work with clients from all over the world and, and I often never meet them in person. But the connection is incredible because that's where I... Um, working at the at the depths of that with with the soul and the emotions and and the experience of them overcoming their own challenges and following their own callings. So, just to say, I love you guys, especially who are live with me right now in the morning. It's so good. I know uh, some people go are not uh, like are awake in the middle of the night, just like you were. It's a it's a true sign. So, was there ever a time, Jamie, when you had a full crash? I don't know if you're up for sharing it, but. Kings take on so much responsibility, whether, you know, it's, it's your family, like you said, it's, it's your community, it's your work. Was there ever a time when you fell down, had it had a, a major um, knock them down of some kind? And how did you get to the other side of that? Well, there was a, there was a period last year, was it last year, 2019, I think it was 20, yeah, it was last year, 2019. So previous to launching Iconic, and um, I'm still involved now to, to a degree, um, I've run all, um, all of David's events and books and so on for the last five years. So any events and shows that anyone's been to of David's, um, that would have been me that organised that. Um, all the book publishing, wow. all that sort of stuff, um, dealing with, you know, every, basically, you know, he'll hand you a Word, Word document and you take care of everything else. So... Um, Wow. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed working in events, and um, it's been it was a great learning curve to then come into to film production because a lot of the skills are very transferable. It's just you know a little bit more film production. You you learn a little bit more about cameras and settings and how to make things look cool. But in terms of the organising and producing and organising and making everything you know tick, it's a pretty similar skill. So start of 2019, we were in I was in Anacapulco, sorry Acapulco, Mexico at the Anacapulco Festival. So was I. Well, in 2019, 20, yeah, not last year. 
Oh, yeah. pardon me. Been there before. Okay, darn it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 2018. Yeah, 2018. <laughs> yeah. And um, we had a tour booked in Australia for, for the following month. So I was in Australia, in, in, in Mexico. Um, we flew back to Los Angeles. So me and David in Los Angeles. We were sat at um, the hotel, just about to head to the old airport to catch a 15-hour flight down to Melbourne. And we sat at this bar and I got a message uh, from the Australian government that David's visa had been cancelled at the last minute. Two hours, sorry, sorry, hang on, four hours, four hours before we due to board this Qantas flight down to Melbourne. So we then um, put in a legal challenge against it. We actually stayed in Los Angeles and just went day on day, booked a hotel that day, that day, that day for about four more days uh, to try and um, recover and, and see if we could somehow overturn this decision. Mm -hmm. which we could, and then eventually after about five days we, we flew back to the uk so um that was that was hard you know staring down the barrel of losing a lot of money and also um losing a tour that we'd spent you know months and months and months well, spent months and months putting together and was really looking forward to so then we came back to the uk um and then we went back to america for uh, about four weeks later for the um, two premieres of David's film, Renegade. Uh, and mm -hmm. while on the way to the venue in Los Angeles, it was down in Santa Monica Bay, um, the venue phoned and the venue had cancelled because they weren't, they'd, they'd um, you know, they'd had a, a call from one person probably saying that, that David says this, that and the other, and none of which he says. And at that point, we were sat in the same hotel <laughs> that we'd been sat in when the Australian visa had been cancelled. And that was really tough because at that point, I'd, um, I wasn't, you know, it was, it was what, what's going on? What is going on? Come on, we're trying to do something here. And it feels like every single thing we're trying to do, really simple things, you know, a theatre for 400 people to watch a film and, it, and it's been blocked. You know, we've spent money to come to Los Angeles again. And, we've, you know, all that effort of 10 hours on a flight for, for David in particular as a 65-year-old man with arthritis, for goodness sake. You know, it was, I was thinking, what's the point? Mm -hmm. um, and the next day we flew over to New York, we had the premiere there, which went ahead, um, ironically, at a really famous American theatre called the Directors Guild Theatre, which is really famous, and they didn't seem to have a problem, which is ironic. And, uh, and yeah, that, that, week, that week was tough. That week was really tough. It really made you question what's going on. It made you question that, you know, if there's just going to be this forever. Um, we, we dealt for years, really, since 2017 with um, groups trying to cancel events. And that was the first time they were successful. You know, I, I've actually had a case of where I found a new venue on the day before to, 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 to recover a show here in England, in Manchester. And mm. it, it, we seemed to get it working. But that was the first time they'd been successful. And that was kind of the end of the run. I think I must have had about 10 or 12 events where I'd had to find new venues before, and I always did. And this one where I lost really hurt me because it really felt like that's a defeat. So that was really hard. The, the months preceding that were, were tough. Um, but, you know, as I say, you know, you, 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 you have your little moment, then you recompose yourself and you go again. And, uh, mm -hmm. and since then, we, we've launched Iconic. We, you know, David himself has done two live streams, two of the biggest live streams in, in history to over, over 1.3 million people each time. Wow. Um, so, you know, you've got to look at it and say, okay, well, you know, that was tough times, but you know, we're, we, we've moved forward from it. As, as John Lennon said, it'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. So, <laughs> you know, when, the, when you're in those tough moments, it's very important to remember things like that. But, you know, this isn't the end. This is just part of the journey and we'll look back on it 
and we'll, you know, we probably won't be happy that it happened, but we'll appreciate that it was part of the journey. Maybe it had to happen to help something else happen. So yeah, that's probably the toughest thing I've had to deal with in my well, career, if you want to call it that. Um, mm -hmm. It is because it was two things in very quick succession mm -hmm. that were very, very hard, and it was a lot of work, and it was very much like what's the point? But you know, mm -hmm. I say we're here a year, eighteen months later, and um, and things have moved on. So um, so yeah. It's, mm -hmm. It's just one of those experiences. Mm -hmm. Every time you slay a demon or a dragon, you come out the other side stronger, right? It's it's a cliche, but if it if it didn't kill you, it does make you stronger. And uh, I can actually totally relate. In my corporate days with my family, uh, I I did a lot of event management, and I think that's the closest I ever came to suicide, to tell you the truth, because there's so many moving parts, as I'm sure you're very well aware of, never mind the extenuating circumstances of the public opinion, venues pulling out because of one phone call, like you're saying, uh, that's, that is, is really amazing. And, and we're talking the hero's journey here, right? Like this is, they don't call it the hero's journey because it's uh, a cakewalk. It's, yeah, no. you know, you, you, you really have to face the trials and you have to die not one time, but probably a whole bunch of times and, and come out the other side resurrected. And, you know, you can just see the energy on you and your family. It's, um, I, I must've wept through the entire, uh, of, of Renegade and watching your film yesterday, just seeing how, how deep the service is to humanity. Uh, and and just the energy transmission alone of, of you having gone through those challenges is a, a major gift to your audience. So I just want to make sure you know that. Thanks. Totally. Thanks. I'd love to talk about uh, the subject that came up for me while I was writing my book that I, I wasn't aware that it was such a huge subject to me. It's about the masculine and the feminine, how the, those two archetypes play out on earth right now between men and women. Uh, I know that there was a time where I felt like everything that was wrong with the world was a result of the patriarch. And I've been totally awakened to that, realizing that it's not about men. It's part of what inspires me so much to, to now support strong men, such as yourself. And uh, you know, hold them up rather than take them down because the, you know, the, the film I watched last night, Man Down, right? There's, there's, there was something, I think the 891% uh, increase in uh, the calls to the suicide lines. And there's some crazy, you know, four times as high suicides with men, if I'm getting that right. I know you had some, some uh, statistics in there. What's your perspective on all of that? So I think like, like most debates, um, masculine and feminine debate and you know has been massively polarized I think that there's there's you know throughout history the fact that we've got where we are as a species because of how procreation works men and women have obviously cooperated they had to have cooperated and I think we're at the the peak now in terms of our kind of evolution of how you know the two work who can work in unison. And I think what that debate's done, I think what the kind of really far out radical feminist movement has done is, is basically made a war on masculinity and a war on men. When I think masculinity is important. I think it's very important. And I think that's a massive reason for why there's a big rise in mental health issues in men. I think they're, they're, they're being nurtured to think that their masculinity is toxic. When there is toxic masculinity, there is, but not everyone. Someone that, that masculinity of, of standing up going so for example with what's going on at the moment standing up going no i'm not wearing a mask because i think it's an absolute joke i refuse to do it 
you'd probably class that as a masculine trait, standing up and going, I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of men are, are, are kind of are given the, the opinion that that's, that's toxic and that's, uh, that's, you know, that's an abuse of power. And I think that's a big reason for the rise in these mental health issues. Men don't know their place. They kind of feel like they've lost their place in the world. I don't know how to be. Am I a toxic? Am I toxically masculine if I hold the door open for a for a lady, for example, and say after you, "Oh, ladies first, Is that now not allowed? I think the real extreme feminist movement really does play on that. And I think when it comes to things like equality, I think everyone wants equality really apart from some idiots and they want equality across every spectrum of gender race sexuality um you know sexual orientation all of those things equality of opportunity i think is is should be the pinnacle of human existence everyone no matter where you're born no matter whether you're a man a woman whether you're gay straight whether you're black white you get the same opportunities if you're competent in whatever skill or whatever job you're trying to do you get the same opportunity as someone who has come from a different background to you whatever that background is i think You'd say that, again, apart from to a few idiots, I think most people that you speak to would agree that that would be the way the world should be and that would be an optimum solution going forward because, you know, you think about it, you want the best talent doing the best jobs because that's going to make the world go around. You want the best possible engineer building an aeroplane that you're going to fly on. It doesn't matter about it, his or her background. You want the best possible doctor doing your heart bypass surgery doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman if he's black or white if he's gay or straight anything like that and i think that we've been kind of we've gone backwards almost and we, we're at the point again where i think we have this reverse sexism and reverse racism of things like quota systems where you know you look at apartheid south africa and where they had quota systems and you probably look at that and think that's wrong but i do think we're at that point again now i think you know where um people are being interviewed for jobs and they're being um, you know, encouraged to do certain things because of their gender, because of their race. I think that's personally, I look at that as racist because exactly. I think you should judge someone on, as a person, you should judge another person on who they are as a person, how they behave, what are their opinions, what are their ideologies, what are their actions and attitudes towards you and the other people around them. Ignore the colour of their skin, ignore their gender, ignore who they want to go out and date. All of those things that divide us. See, I don't even see race. For me, I don't see. When I see someone or speak to somebody, I don't, race isn't, it's irrelevant. I don't even think about it because I don't see it. I understand that throughout history, certain minorities and certain groups of, of, of ethnicities have been through hardship, a lot more hardship than others. I appreciate and understand that. But I don't think that you can generalize that across a wide spectrum of people i think it's the same with masculine and feminine i think to say that the suppression of women for example is solely down to masculinity i think is completely wrong and completely um untrue when you look at the facts so you look at the 21st century 20th century the evolution of proper um of, of sanitary things in offices and that being widespreadly available that's massively helped women in the workplace it's allowed them to go forward. The um, increase in um, the availability of childcare, for example, in nurseries and childminders, that's massively increased the female opportunities at work. And I think this is one thing that really frustrates me about this debate is I think the biggest, because you've got the two, the two different genders, and I think everyone would agree because women are the ones that bear children, they're the more nurturing gender. 
they're the more nurturing and if you want to break it back down to cavemen men go out and kill the food and bring the food home women raise the children that's kind of, i think that to an extent i do think you know with brain plasticity we can evolve that but i do think in a deep down that is the natural probably what our bodies are built to do that's probably why naturally a male body is stronger than a female body that's why a female body can bear a child a male one can't so i think they're naturally that more nurturing gender and i think most people would probably listening to this would say if you had a real problem unless it was a problem like you know i've got guys after me i need to go i need to protect myself if it was an emotional problem you'd probably talk to your mum about it before you talk to your dad about it i think most most people listening to this would probably agree with that with some exception Mm -hmm. I think what the, the far, really far out, I'd call really far left feminist movement has done, is I think it's tried to convince women that having a, not having a career, you're failing. Whereas yes. for me, the biggest, you, biggest gift you can do is bring another child into this planet and you can nurture that child, you can embrace that child's growth, develop that personality and then you know, present that child out to the world as an adult. I think that nurturing is the greatest gift that you can give to humanity because that's you're almost leaving a legacy. And I think we've been we've been taught, particularly women have been targeted, that that's a failure. You have to have this big high flying career. You have to earn this much money. You have to run FTSE 500 companies because there's only what seven women CEOs of those. Um, whereas I think that's made people disengage from what you know probably they really want, which is that fulfillment which i mentioned earlier and i don't think you can get fulfillment from a salary from a status i think fulfillment comes from nurturing it comes from a nurturing a loving relationship it comes from friendships and it comes from human to human interaction and i think bringing another another life into the planet i think is i don't think there's a bigger you know you could be on 10 million pound a year but it's worth nothing compared to raising a child so mm -hmm. i think they've really tried to convince convince women that that's that's not what you should be doing you need to do this you need to do that so i think there's a lot of women that don't know what their place is and they don't know how to be you know i might want to do this but am i letting people down if i just stay at home and have a family and let my husband go out to work so i think it's a really really interesting time where the kind of balance between masculine and feminine is it's really teetering where I think, you know, there's there's massive rises, as you said, in mental health issues in men. I, I imagine there probably is in women, too. I imagine it's probably just not spoken about as much. Um, and I think that, as I said, for, for the sake of the species and the fact we've got this far, we've cooperated and we've, we've worked together to raise children, to, to form you know, allegiances to, to, to beat things, you know. Um, and I think that we've kind of got away from that. And I, I think it's become another version of divide and rule because, you know, we, we can't live without each other, can we? You know, the, the species dies out. So mm -hmm. I think it's very important that, that that kind of polarization, as I've said, is, is, is got rid of. And I think we just have to break it down to a human-to-human -human scale. You know, are you, is, there, is there men out there that are toxically masculine, that think that men are superior to women. Yes, there is. Do the majority of men think that? No, 99.9, probably 9% don't think that. Mm -hmm. Is there women at the extreme levels of feminism that don't want equality, they just hate men? Yes, there is. Do all women think that? No, they don't. Again, probably 99.9% don't. I think the majority of people just want to get on. They just want to Get on with their lives they want to be happy they want to do what they want to earn some money go on holiday a couple of times a year have a family and have a loving relationship have a roof over their heads but i think 
the kind of real far left feminism movement against the real far kind of toxic masculinity movement has just polarized it. Um, so I think you want the best of both. So I'd, I'd like to think that I had the best of both. Um, you know, back me into a corner, I'm going to I'm going to fight and I'm going to come out fight or flight. But I'm also very compassionate. I'm also very um, caring and thoughtful towards other people. And the majority of things I do, I do for other people. And I think that's a very feminine trait, which I'm, you know, I have no problem. I've, I cried buckets when my son was born. I cry at films. Mm. I have no issue showing mm. that emotion. I don't think that's a sign of weakness at all. I think uh, I think most mm. most women would probably agree that a man who is in touch with their emotions is actually an attractive trait. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of men are left left to believe that that's a that's a weakness. And I think that's again another factor in the rise in mental health because people have suppressed these emotions for so long it gets to the point where you just explode, you know, you jump off the cliff or you just, you know, you lose, you lose yourself. Um, so I think having the best of both sides, masculine and feminine, is very, very important to balance because, you know, everything in the universe comes down to balance, the balance between the right and the left, the light and the dark, always needs to be in some sort of unison in order to have um, a playing field where, where things are kind of happy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love the title of your film, Unnatural. And, uh, you know, if there's any hidden agenda that I don't hide, it's it's helping to be an instrument of returning humanity back to nature. And I don't mean back to the forest and away from the technology. I mean that there are ways we can, it's exactly what you've said with men and women, we do have natural roles. And it doesn't mean, you know, like I I have been more of a king hero in my life than I have been, in, you know, in, in my language, it's been like the, the, the mermaids or merpreneurs got these two archetypes running. And, uh, but often the women are the king heroes because then we've lived in this unnatural way that not only did I have the child, but I also had the business and I had the, you know, responsibility for not everything. And, and uh, I always, I never want to put my son's dad down. He's, he, he showed up too, but uh, you know, when you've got the split family, then we both have to be the kings of the castle. So it's, uh, it takes away from the, from the natural power. And like you're saying, the, the perception of it. So, so even though you might want to be the one who, who uh, goes full time into nurturing the family and keeping that whole connection alive, you're going to be thinking like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not valuable enough. I'm not earning enough money or any money, and uh, and then reject that. So, if anything, this work and and then this conversation right now is a call to just be who you are, <laughs> be who yeah. you are, and uh, and the balance. You're you're absolutely bang on. It's between. It's actually within yourself. When I healed my own inner masculine after my dad died, then all of a sudden I had a love and respect for men that I never, I never had before because of my whole feminist, uh, you know, uh, upbringing. And it just naturally came in. It doesn't make me blind to when somebody's in a toxic way, whether that's a man or a woman, it's everybody gets toxic and there's lots of circumstances, unfortunately, that, that create that. But uh, would you like to talk about your film Unnatural? I watched it last night and it was absolutely fabulous. I want to make sure that people know about it and, uh, and I'll put your URL up as well so that people can go to your website. Yes, yeah, so the, the film is about, um, it co covers two big topics really. So it covers the physical impact, impacts of this massive rise in the use of technology and therefore the rise in radiation in the atmosphere from, for the, from the, the signals and, and um, waves to use it. And it also covers the social impacts of this massive rise in technology. Because 
I think what most people don't realize is how quickly this has changed. So the dial-up internet, for example, which was the first, first internet invented, came in 1988. So you look at that to today, that's 32 years, really. So that's not even half a generation, really. Mm -hmm. For example, I'm 27. I remember my mum bringing home her first mobile phone, which would have probably been early 2000, say 2002, something like that, where the phone looked very much like the cordless deck phones people have in their homes now. You could dial some numbers. You could. I don't even think. I don't believe on her phone. You could make a text message. Then that evolved very quickly into being able to text. And then when the first iPhone came out, 2007, you've got everything in one palm of your hand in one device. You've got your um, text messages, your calls, your social media, your music, your films, all of those things. So the relationship with technology became so integrated into our lives and we've just seen it rise and rise and rise and rise and rise to the point now where you've got toddlers that can use an iPad before they can walk or talk, which I find absolutely terrifying. You've got kids that use their smartphones better than their parents do because the brains are starting to actually understand the use of technology before they understand the basics of humanity, of communication, of speech, of walking, of crawling, of being a child. So I think the social implications, if, if in my opinion, are actually more detrimental than the environmental ones, and the environmental ones are, are dangerous enough. Since, um, the since 1980, there's a certain band of frequencies, which are called microwaves, which run from a certain gigahertz to a certain gigahertz. Um, on the, 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 the left-hand side of the electromagnetic spectrum called non-ionizing radiations, which are radiations that the mainstream says cannot cause things like cancer. They say the ones on the right can, which include things like x-rays, hence why when you have an x-ray, you only are exposed to a short period of it. And if you notice the person that does the x-ray will always be behind a screen because they're using it regularly, they have to make sure their exposure is low. Otherwise, you know, you're doing 20 x-rays a day and you're exposed every day 20 times, you'll have cancer in a very short period. Same with things like gamma rays and um, nuclear accidents and so on radars things like that so then you come to non-ionizing radiations which we're told are not particularly dangerous because they can't um, act the same way on a living cell well there's a scientific process called oxidative stress which is where that radiation can cause an imbalance in the cells where it upsets the calcium um, potassium balance which therefore makes that cell um, damaged depends what type of cell it is will depend on the, the influence if it's a pain cell it will cause pain for example and the increase in this particular area of radiation since the 1980s has gone up by something called 10 to the power 18. So 10 with 18 zeros after it times more radiation in that band than there was 120 years ago. Sorry, wow. than there was um, in the 80s. And that's grown and grown and grown. And with the increase to 5G technology, which is the reason that we made this film, because 5G has really galvanized people around the world to kind of stand up and speak. I thought this was a you know, strike while the iron's hot. I really thought this was a time when people were ready for a film like this. That power is going to increase even more. And they're going to go into a new level of frequencies called millimeter waves, which are even smaller waves. So I think that's an incredibly dangerous area of itself. But the social impact on the other side of it I think it's changed the way that young people are developing. It's changed the way relationships are building between young people. A lot of people in teenage years now would probably agree that their relationships are very superficial rather than of any substance. Mm -hmm. And I think we're becoming so addicted that we can't put it down.
And, and as you, you all have seen from watching the film, there is, again, a scientific process to show that these are actually physically addictive. It's like a drug. It releases a certain chemical, dopamine being one, which, as we know, is the chemical that we release when we're, we do, we're doing things like drinking, gambling, smoking, taking drugs, all those things that... Um, give us a really good feeling when you're in the gym for example and you're exercising you get that pump on you feel good that's dopamine and you get the same principle now from technology which i find completely terrifying because unlike all of those other things i mentioned ignore the gym for a second because invariably when you're doing that you're doing something positive um they're all monitored they all have age restrictions on you know if you walk into a bar and you're absolutely pissed out of your mind they're not going to serve you whereas you could have been on your phone for 15 hours of the day and you'll sit in the corner and be on the phone for 16 hours a day and no one's going to come and go, you've been on this too long, put it down. So I think that the the un, sort of unmonitored use of social media is going to change the way, already has changed the way, but even more so going to change the way young people develop and you're going to have a, a whole generation and future generations of adults that don't know how to form meaningful relationships with people, that don't know how to communicate with people. You know, there's lots of reasons for the rise in, in something like in things like autism, but the rise in autism tendencies and communications that are on the autistic spectrum, I believe that technology has a big answer for that because you're not learning those skills. And what things like this pandemic has done is it's forced people to use technology even more so. People that probably didn't use it very often, elderly people, they're using it now to communicate with their families because they're not allowed to see them. So you're on it even more because you're at home all the time. So I think that it's it's, it's that pro probably along with um, another subject I'm massively passionate about, which is vaccinations, which as you saw with, with Andy Kaufman, I'm making a film on that. That's the next one that's coming out in December. I believe it's the second most, if not on a par with vaccinations, most dangerous thing to, that, that, that can impact the development and well-being of young people. And the fact that that's going unmonitored, the fact that you've now got, I can't remember the exact number, but an insane number of kids under the age of 10 that now have a smartphone and have access to these devices and things like social media through that is terrifying. And I think you're, just like with the smoking industry, you're going to ignore it for far too long and it's going to cost far too many lives before people actually start to look and go, there's an issue here. There's a serious issue here. You know, we mentioned mental health earlier in the conversation. How many young kids are killing themselves because of online bullying, social media bullying, where once, once upon a time, me, for example, when you asked earlier about what school was like, it didn't come home with me. People might have been not very nice at school, but then I went home and I spent time with my mum and my dad and I watched television and I played on my Xbox and I ignored what had gone on. Whereas that doesn't happen anymore because of social media, because of the constant use of cell phones, it follows you home. You can be sat in your own house and that person or group or whoever that's abused you all day at school is still doing that and you can't escape it. And again, I think that has a big, big answer to, to, to um, sorry, a big question to answer in the mental health and development of young people. So it's, a, it's an area I'm incredibly passionate about because I believe that technology has a place. You know, I'm, I'm not anti-technology at all because, you know, me and you are communicating now through, through technology. It does have a place. I think it's allowed uh, information to get out that wouldn't have got out. But I think we've yeah. got to a point, it's, you know, it's allowed war veterans to that have been injured to walk through, you know, bionic legs and arms and do things that they wouldn't have been able to do pre-technology. So I do think it has a place. But I think the relationship now has got to the point where it's unhealthy 
where technology is the decider, technology is the master, and we've become the slaves to it, rather than the other way around, where we use technology for the benefit of us, but appreciate that the best things in life, the building of relationships, being out in nature, come away from that. I think we've got to the point where that's a toxic relationship now. And I think we need to do a bit of a hard reset where we probably look at that and go, you know what? We need to do a really hard reset here. And in some cases, they're, 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 uh, they're doing that. You know, there's things like team rehab for smartphone addiction. It's just insanity. Um, I think the first thing in dealing with any problem is uh, accepting the fact and identifying the fact that there is one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Really well said. Yeah, it's so sobering. Last night, I uh, listening to your your uh, a natural film here. I'll just put it up so people know how to look Thank for you. it. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, it is really exceptional. I, I I totally enjoyed it. It's so well done and, and quite quite a beautiful experience from an artistic perspective. So that's uh, that's great work that you're that you're doing to deliver very hard medicine. I know that as a parent, it's uh, I, I was my stomach was churning on the whole thing because it's you know anyway I won't I won't take too much time weeping and crying about that. But uh, is there any just as closing words? Is there any advice that you would give to the young king heroes who are out there, or maybe not even young, but you know that everybody's in a stage of I know I was there that I was like oh my god I know all this stuff and I can't say anything and I can't come forward with the truth that I know what advice would you give them to get out and you know maybe it's not truth telling but we all have our way to contribute through our sacred purpose what what advice would you give to those young king heroes out there or or just the the reticent king heroes i think the 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 best way to live your life is to do what you believe to be right whatever that might be now you might look at that and, and say that's crazy because some people probably think going on a serial killing spree is is all right but i think ignore that but Mm -hmm. Do what you believe to be right. Don't do what you are told is right. and Don't do what the people around you feel is right. You've got to do what feels right to you because I keep going on about it. We've mentioned it a few times, fulfillment. Fulfillment is vital in order to have a happy life and in order to feel like you're actually doing something and contributing something with your life. And I think that has to start within. Like I've got a big sign, which I have, um, I don't know where it is at the moment, but I used to have it up on my bedroom wall and it said happiness is an inside job. And I used to see that and that's the first thing you used to think every day. And I think that's very, very important. And I think you could change that word to fulfillment. Fulfillment is an inside job. No one else can fulfill you. A relationship can't fulfill you. It can enrich what you already have, but you have to have that insular, um, innate and really kind of, you know, has to come from within you. Otherwise, you know, no, no things can make you happy-ish but they're not going to really make you fulfilled and feel like you're, you know, you're contributing something. So that would be my first point is do what you believe to be right. Not what the people around you might believe to be right. Whether, you know, even to the points when your family might disagree with what you've got to say, if you believe in what you're thinking and what you're doing, then you have to do it. So, and you know, that's a big point. I think that's a very big point because Excellent. if you do that, you've got integrity, you've got integrity because you've got integrity to yourself. And I think that, is what I mean, integrity is a big point, but I think you have to have integrity to yourself. You have to feel that whatever it is that you're doing, you're doing for the right reasons. Even if you're not doing anything groundbreaking, even if you're raising a child and you are doing the best by that child because you know that's what you want to do and that's what you innately feel you have to do, then you're contributing something. You're nurturing the next generation. You're giving that child the best opportunity to be the best that they can be. That's an amazing thing to do. 
You don't have to be running a massive podcast or changing the world or writing books or delivering lectures. Just break it down. As long as what you're doing in your family you feel to be right, then I think that's massive. That's a key point. The other thing is do not be bullied into, do not be bullied into silence, you know, by authority, whether that be your parents if you're young, that's your first authority figure, teachers, the government, police officers, anything like that. Do not be bullied into silence. If you feel something is right or if you feel something is wrong, say it and do it and live it. So, for example, I don't believe in wearing a mask because I believe that's fascism. I don't believe in vaccines. I don't. I believe that's fascism. I've never been vaccinated. My son's never been vaccinated and never will. If a mandatory vaccination come in, someone's going to have to come with a gun to administer mine and my family. And it gets to that point where I'd go to jail to not do that. In the same way that Muhammad Ali went to jail to not fight in the Vietnam War, that was integrity. That was doing what you believe to be right, even at personal sacrifice and personal detriment. I think that's very important. And to not be bullied into silence, to really do what you believe, even at the cost of you. Look at the people through history that have done that. Martin Luther King, it cost him his life. Bobby Kennedy, it cost him his life. Malcolm X, it cost him his life. JFK, it cost him his life. But those people have integrity. And they did what they believed to be right, even at personal sacrifice. And you might look at that and go, that's crazy because they lost their life. But they will feel fulfilled. And wherever they are now, they'll know they did the best that they could do. So I believe that they're two massive, massive things that, that people need to do and should do in order to be happy, in order to feel like they're contributing something. And in order to really feel fulfilled and and, um, and yeah, have a happy life and feel like you're doing something to, to drive the world forward and to make it a better place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. I love that. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's yourself that you have to live with. And uh, so I love that to, to, to self-refer, to be your own inner uh, monitor of what it is, how you spend your time, not even your closest family. You know, I'm, I'm kind of at odds with most of my family right now and yet i'm totally in integrity with myself and that's that's what i'll know at the end of the uh, of my life whether i was with or against that so, yeah uh, I totally yeah agree. i totally agree i live by the phrase that integrity is like virginity once you've lost it you can't get it back <laughs> yeah there you go there you go sad but true uh, I want to just shout out to Juan and Steve and Rob and Bill and Holly and Sherry and Claire, uh, all these beautiful people that have been chiming in with some great stuff. I'm going to have a coffee and go through the chat after. Thank you so much, everyone, for, for joining in. And uh, Jamie, it's been a pleasure to, to host you. Let me put up your website one more time. I encourage everybody to go and subscribe at Iconic dot com to the uh the monthly uh things that are coming out that your your films are there or your film is there there's other films that are really interesting there's the the podcast with your dad uh on a it, how often does he do that is it a weekly podcast fridays yeah, or something yeah so there's five shows that go out every week so there's a podcast with david that goes out every friday yeah there's a show from america my brother's got a podcast every week the fitness show every week and then there's a, a ton of other content we produce an original series each month across different topics um and there's lots and lots of films uh, and licensed content on there as well as well as um our original stuff and we've got five more original films coming for the end of the year too so is wow it? yes <laughs> that's a lot of work thank you so much for your time i i totally appreciate it. i hope you have a beautiful rest of your evening with your family and I look forward to hearing more about your work. Maybe we can have a chat down the line when uh, when the next film comes out. Sounds great. Thank you very okay. much. 
Okay, totally my pleasure. Bye for now. I'm going to stay on for a couple of minutes and uh, maybe I will talk to my to my folks in the chat, but uh, I wish you a, a, a beautiful day. There he goes. He's gone. <laughs> oh man, so great. You guys could come out. It's, this is really early in my morning. And uh, yes, there. thanks for the question, Bill. There will, would, there will be more study groups. I'm, I've been trying to get my feet on the ground from the epic uh, journey that I've made. So uh, I, I will absolutely do that. I see no reason why I can't schedule it for the 31st. In fact, if anybody wants to put that on the calendar right now, uh, if you're not familiar, my book journey, a map of archetypes um, uh, uh, for finding lost purpose in a sea of meaninglessness is out now. It's uh, you can order it at my website, bethmartins.com. And I will be hosting this July 31st, Friday, is the time that I'm going to be hosting the next upcoming group on the particular archetypes, I believe. And, and actually, Bill, can you remind me, are we at the, I think we're at the hedonist archetype, if I'm not mistaken, I believe. I think we did the lover and we're, we're coming to the hedonist. I'd have to double check that right now. But uh, so every two weeks we get together and have a study group, which is really just a beautiful meeting of minds. It's all the truth community in there. Uh, it's a way to just gain inspiration to transmit energy, right? Like now having talked to Jamie, I feel full of energy. I feel, I feel totally inspired and alive. And um, if I didn't have to go to the bathroom, I'd stay here all day, but <laughs> I will do that too. Also, I want to let you know that this Friday, is the oh hey uh bob from globusters is here too thank you so much i totally appreciate your uh your uh, props there that that means a lot to me and so this friday is also the early bird uh um i hate to say deadline but it's the end of the early bird for my journey code coaching certification program this next uh, run of it is going to start in september on the 14th but right now until the end of July only, it's half the investment. So it's a super, super good time. If you know me already, you know getting on early is always the best for you. You get the most out of it. Uh, you get to go to work right away in some of the, my materials to do some archetype work, to be prepared for that. When you set your sights on helping others, that's when you do your deepest work because you have to walk your talk. You have to be there actually doing the thing that you say and that makes you live in integrity, speaking of integrity, with yourself when you are there in service to others. Thank you, Juanita. I totally appreciate the the uh, the props there. You guys are amazing. Juan, thanks for the love as well. Um, any questions about anything before we sign off for today? It's been a total blast. I'm going to go back and, uh, and have some fun with the chat. <laughs> Claire's been here. Yay, Steve is here. Uh, yeah, doom and gloom. Hey, Rob, that's a lot of doom and gloom. But if you're a creator, if you create your life, and especially if you create ways to be of service to others, then it really takes a lot of the doom and gloom out of it. That's not what we're meant to do. That's not our purpose to uh, to weep and cry. There, it can be a phase to go through, but it certainly is not the thing that is going to um, get you to the other side of your purpose. So. I appreciate you guys. I love you so much. I'm so happy to, um, yeah, it, it's funny. Uh, Globister says he hadn't heard of Jamie before, only Gareth. And uh, I, I'll admit it now. <laughs> Maybe Jamie's going to see this, but I, I thought Jamie and Gareth were the same guy. So I was a little confused. Jamie, where's your music? I was thinking to myself, but uh, it's amazing to have a family like that and uh, see everybody 
you know, rallying their support and working together. It's, it's like a miracle. Um, honestly, the, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, Holly, my book is not yet available as an audiobook, but uh, right now, so you can get it as a PDF and also as a hard copy. I do actually really want to do the audiobook this year. I enjoy, you know, uh, speaking. I enjoy the voice. I enjoy it as an instrument. And so I'm looking forward to doing my audiobook. It, uh, it might take a little while, but thanks for, for asking. If you want, I could pick up a link from my website and uh, share it with you how to get this to be part of the Archetype Study Group. And here we go. It's super fun. Again, it's all people in the truth community, so you're going to be in very good company. And here's the link in the chat. Blessed are the creators, the creatives. Very true, very true. All right, well, feel free to put your hands up if you want to chat about the uh, Journey Code coaching certification. I'm teaching people how to read archetypes, how to coach with archetypes, how to see where somebody's at and help them from that place. Once you're precise about where you're stuck and you can help somebody else be precise, then you are a million miles ahead on the healing game helping them to follow their sacred purpose, their journey. There's a number of uh, decoding tools, deprogramming tools, right? That's all we need because we have everything that we need is inside of us already. You look at someone like Jamie, how he has just poured out this creative content. He was up at 3 a.m. doing an interview because of the time zones. That's a person driven by his purpose, driven by that internal resource that is forever giving and that's what the journey code coaching certification program is about so that you can help others to get into that place and uh, to me that's the most worthwhile thing that i could do is train others to train others who will train others right that's what's uh, actually coming up if you're in manitoba i'm going to be hosting the first ever manitoba freedom campfire inspired by the rhinebeck trip recently to new york the 19 that were there, we're going to create a 19 here. I've got ashes coming for this fire. We're going to take the ashes from, from the Manitoba fire and send them out with the 19 people to go and create their own communities around the campfire, around truth, around freedom, and start building what it is that we need. We can build our own world. The fact that it's uh, all falling apart now is a blessing. And uh, so I love you guys a lot. I'm going to sign off for now. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your uh, weekend as well. Uh, love to check in with you if you have anything to share at all. All right, everybody. Awesome, Austin, you just came in, you're late. Well, you'll, you can catch the recording. I'm just about to sign off, but uh, have a great rest of your day, you guys. Bye for now. <laughs>